Hello and welcome to Real Men Feel. This is your host, author, coach, and healer, Andy Grant. Real Men Feel exists to remind men that they are human beings and they have the right to experience and express all of their emotions. They're not some emotions for men and some are for women. You're human. You have the right to all the full range of emotions. So feel free, live your life and on your terms. We have conversations that most men are not having, but that all men can benefit from. You know, this year, I've begun for the first time in my life, martial arts classes. And I'm surprised how much fun I've been having, even going against sparring against guys that are in college. My guest today has a lot more experience than that. In fact, he has an incredibly eclectic background. My guest is Nico Versen. Nico is a former professional Muay Thai and mixed martial arts athlete with a master's in psychology. He specializes in resilience, performance, quality of life, and happiness. He's prepared four world champions in various martial arts, and as a mindset coach, helps train business high performers to turn their stress, setbacks, and intense conflicts into a competitive advantage. Welcome to Rim and Feel, Nico. Well, super nice to meet you, my man. Uh, I'm very happy to be here, and I love what you're doing, awesome. helping men to step it up, isn't it? Yeah, thanks. Nico, my first question is, how long were you a professional fighter? How long did your career last? 12 years. 12 yeah. years. And I, I'm, I've never been a professional athlete, but I'm sure in that situation, you really have to remain calm and focused despite physical and mental stress. So did that come naturally to you or was that a skill you had to develop? Well, I, I think it's a bit, there is one thing that's inborn. I love uh, excitement. So I have a high threshold for uh, activation before I feel alive. These days they call that ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the day, it was you were just a busy young kid with a lot of energy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, like of course, of course, the, you the first time you get into the ring, you're going crazy with nerves. You know, it's like. Uh, but very soon, my trainer he taught me this: your body preparing you to get ready for fighting that was an amazing reframe that i've used ever since mm. you know and uh, and that's one thing that actually the thing that i miss the most is the feeling right before you get into the ring or the cage that's the feeling i miss when you know there's no way to run and when you know it's now that you want to perform it's now that you will thrive or break you know, it's it's something where the where the purity of that moment is very hard to uh, to imitate with any other things. There yeah. are a few moments where you can get so pure, but because it can be imagined this 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 notion of anticipation and excitement and adrenaline, just all mm -hmm. in that is it really that that yes. split second before a fight starts? Or yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's more about connection. Hmm. Well, I, I'm really addicted to connection. That's why I, I work like as a, as an executive coach, really deep. I go with 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 uh, with the uh, founders and and CEOs, and also athletes here and there still, but mainly with with with, with uh, people who are real go getters. Uh, it it's about. It's about, that's why hypnosis for me is such a powerful tool because in that moment I get absorbed immediately. I go into trance like that. Mm. 
much faster as with traditional meditation, really funny. So it's in that connection that I find connection with myself, the same in the ring. When you go into the ring, first of all, you have an amazing connection with the crowd. They're cheering you or booing you, <laughs> same thing. They're still connected with you. You have your core that prepared you for in between one to three months. And they have pushed you along the way and supported you. And then you have the opponent against you, a man that is, no, let's hope for him, just as prepared as you, is there for only one reason, to knock you out. And so there's a real deep connection, a real deep recognition of being a warrior and having that warrior in front of you. And then last but not least, with all this, it's you face yourself. You can't hide in fighting. And that's the thing that, that, that is, well, difficult to find. A moment that is so pure where you are really in touch with yourself, with everybody else, with the moment. There is nothing else there than that moment. So how, how else have, have, or have MMA skills transferred into other areas of your life? You're, you keep talking about how you can't find something to repeat mm -hmm. that. So does what you master in the ring, how is that translated into other areas? Yeah. Well, first of all, I love doing public speaking keynotes. And I think I will go into that a bit more uh, because, yeah, it's a bit similar. You're in front of a crowd. You will thrive or you will break, you know. <laughs> you can't hide. It's you. They will see your little mannerisms because you're the middle point of attention. And so it puts the pressure up. So I like that a lot. Uh, but uh, another thing that's really interesting is that what I found is that dancing, partner dance, like Kizomba, which I like, it's like an African tango, you can say, a tango, salsa bachata, that that's when you get into a real, real deep flow with, with, a, with a partner, that can get to the similar thing. And mm. But I was never very shy in that. I don't care if people think I dance like a noob. I mean, I, I don't, I don't have a problem people criticizing me. That was my big advantage. I don't literally don't care. I do what I like. Uh, so that was that's a big gift uh, that I was born with that, or or at least that I had some experiences when I was young, where I could see the the very fragility of life. And so I decided from a very young age that I was going to do what I want to do. <laughs> cool. So you had this but, this competitive nature yeah. and, a, and a love of excitement, but without an attachment to what anyone else thought about it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. So is that pretty but liberating? Lose, well, yeah. Well, it, it, I think for other people it would be. But for me, I was like that from a very young age. I always did what I wanted to do. I think it's a bit character, a bit disagreeable in nature, you know. No, was very strong when I was a kid, you know. <laughs> uh, but but what I found was really interesting, like when you see other people, for many, many other people, dancing is perhaps even more frightening than fighting. Hmm. Because again, for sure in partner dance, you cannot hide who you are comes out. I am somebody that likes to break the rules a bit, that likes to free flow 
and that was my challenge in dancing because like if a woman is really sensitive and we have that connection she can follow everything and then it is fantastic it's like wow he's like a pro but then if a woman is a bit more inside of the rules understands that language more and is not so open for experimentation that didn't work so much and so my personality really comes out and that's what happens with everybody and that's very scary because you have a mirror that is so big that everybody can see it and uh, and and sometimes i work with couples too with like ambitious power couples and then like dancing exercises not really dancing but dancing exercises are so powerful hmm. cool yeah so so what inspired you to go from knocking people out to wanting to help them you know get the best out of life well, when I was 30, I was uh, going to do the Ultimate Fighter when Ronda Rousey was uh, was the captain. Uh, I was going to do, I had a contact in upstate New York, uh, Ithaca, New York. And then I was going to do some research, you know, just as, as, as a, uh, how do you say it? I was going to do some research, research around love and relationships. Uh, and it all came come coming down because I were in medical check in Belgium, where it's much cheaper, of course, like uh, to do. I found out that both, both of my retinas were detached. And so after that, there came a sequence of seven more surgeries, seven surgeries, after which at the end, you know, my doctor was, I don't know if you detach it now that I can still make it. So I had to put up the gloves. And, and, and there was a long consequence of the way I fought. I just didn't get care getting hit. I just went forward like Rocky. Mm-hmm. Rocky was not very smart. Like the crowd loves it. I loved it, but my brain didn't, you know. And so uh and so that's what that's what happened. But I also think that that the way I was training and I'm fighting and just approaching the entire thing, that took away of my potential. It undermined it because I was forcing it. My conditioning was crazy, but my testosterone levels were literally half of what I, they are now. Hmm. Probably because of all the impacts on my head combined with overtraining. Yeah. And so I, I, I started working with some athletes and, you know, some of, uh, you know, some of the athletes, when once they get like the big milestones, all of a sudden they get into a deep pit. And now what? Because they always, they were very good in grinding. They were very good at pushing. They enjoyed the chase. But then they never took really took the time to enjoy the steps of the chase. Mm. They enjoyed the idea of the chase, of pushing through and pushing through. But they were not enjoying the step on the way. Some of them really hate the preparation. I loved it. You know, uh, but so, so what I learned is that very often people with a lot of potential, if they work really, really hard, they will become successful. But the problem is, will they be happy? Will they feel fulfilled? Will that bring them what they hope for? And very often it's not because the way in which they go after it is, it's a... Uh, it's like conditional. It's only when they win and when they win big time, 
then they feel good. The problem is it's a dopamine surge. And so the, then it's like a big black hole that you have. It's like they have a big black hole in their heart and they want to cover that black hole. Yeah. But the problem with a black hole is when you put something close, it will absorb it and it will grow. And so the more you put on there, the more you will need. And then at a certain moment, you come to a stage where you almost can't go up anymore. And now what? The hole is still there and it's bigger than ever. So what what are some tips to enjoy the journey, to be ambitious, to have the goal, to be fired up to go for it, but but enjoy the journey, enjoy the procedure, enjoy the process? Mm. Well, it's about instead of... Uh, going just for goals it's like how can i live in line with values how can i live in line with the kind of person i want to be what does the way i go after it says about me as a person in the main moment it can be really uncomfortable very often it's like that but then the more you're gonna really learn to embrace that suck embrace that uncomfort that will help you but then the second part of that is very often forgotten because the grinders, they know very often how to do it. You know, they, they enjoy that. Yes, I love it. There's an identity. You know, I cannot be broken. I'm unbreakable. But then they forget to celebrate. So it's like they have this interesting, interesting com combination of uh, a high drive of great ambition, but of low self-esteem where they have to prove to themselves always that they have to so then a victory becomes a must not a want not a choice and if there's something that i've learned working with people of all different kinds is that choice having the freedom to decide what you do with your time and with with your energy that makes a difference between fulfillment or lack of fulfillment. Mm. But if you force yourself, if you have to do everything, if you must win from yourself, well, then you take away the, the feeling of living. Then you will feel you've been, you're being lived because you internalize all these things that you think you should do instead of that the, the the knowledge the ability to know that you don't that you should do nothing but that you can choose mm -hmm. and that whatever you do you can you choose it but very often not consciously so when we become really aware of the choice of where we put our attention where we put our time and what we get out of it that will help a lot i believe when we first spoke you mentioned uh living a, a full contact life and I never yes. heard it phrased that way. And I thought that was, I really liked that, that term. So is that, you know, living your life by, by your choices and nobody else's, or was it more than that? It's more than that. Well, that's a part of it, but like what it comes down to is that you don't need to run away from any emotions. And so that's one of the thing, like if people that work a hundred hours a week, there's a reason they will be highly successful. They might have a Ferraris and, uh, and then the big mansion and the penthouse, uh, uh, you know. But then, you know, they still look in. They look still look in the mirror. They don't see the person that everybody looks up to, and they feel like an imposter. Not everybody, you know. But uh, 
or they feel like a hero and they win. And if they didn't get the biggest win, then they feel like a loser, even though they're better than 99.9% of the population. It's, it's really fascinating. No, but, but it's very often so they, they run away from this hole in their heart or from something else. You know, very some people are very good with certain emotions like anger. You know, a lot of the go-getters I know, and I was the same, you know, we were very comfortable with anger. It's a go motion, you know, we can do that. So whenever we feel anything else, we get into anger because then we lash out and then we feel better. But in the short run, that is giving us a little bit of a relief. But of course, we break the relations. You know, it's that that that's what you see. Uh, other people are really uncomfortable with anger, with saying no. And so they let other people walk over them. Now, the people that I work with are rarely that. But there is like this inability in our society to just, yeah, to put it bluntly, sit in your shit. We all want to feel good. But the problem is that it's a, it's a unidirectional vision of how life is. Is that black and that white? And in the West, we just see it as white. For example, positive psychology is really powerful, has really powerful tools, but it's only half the equation because it doesn't acknowledge that you have in ourselves, we have sadistic traits, every single one of us. We have narcissistic traits, every single one of us. Like as a child, that's a very important phase and we still have those reminiscences in us. And when we don't acknowledge this in the people that we love and in ourselves, then we are shielding ourselves from the truth. And then we are closing down our heart. Because then, you know, if you're afraid of getting hurt by somebody else or by yourself, very often, you know, then you close yourself down for the real bliss. So you can't have the feeling of victory without facing anxiety. You can't have the feeling of deep love and feeling loved if you are trying to avoid pain and sadness of loss, you can't, it's one or the other. Right. Or you live a full contact life, a life where you take it all, where you know and understand from a deep part that you can handle it. It's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, but you can handle it. Like in an intimate relationship, real intimacy is full contact life. Mm. It's not easy. It's not this and us, that's bullshit. This bullshit, just, it's just not real. It's this, where you stand here on two feet, you, there's a space so your partner could choose to go away, mm-hmm. but then they choose to stay here. And then you go closer to yourself and you're closer to each other. But there's like this, this beautiful space where there's space where the fire can start to burn and where the desire can start to grow. But if you're here, you lost track of yourself. There's no space, so there's no desire. So no wonder so many marriages fall flat on their ass when it comes to intimacy because, you know, they're here. They lost themselves. You know, there are a lot of programs and coaches that that help people remove, eliminate, and avoid stress. But but you really say that stress can be your competitive advantage. So, so tell me about that. So... Well, first of all, I, I experienced that during fighting. The fights were on paper. I had nothing, no chance, zero chance. It was on the biggest stages. I always outperformed myself. You know, it, it's like 
even when they broke my arm, I still won. Like just, but that was stress. The stress was helping me. It's there. It's a system that is there to help us. And they say it's an outdated system. It's only for kill or be killed situation. But that's just not true. It, it, then nature would be really stupid. And it, if we think that nature is stupid, then we are really dumb. No. So so uh, I, I started to really look into that because I started as a relaxation therapist, but something was not right. And the, uh, something was wrong. I felt I was making things worse and people became really dependent on the hypnosis with me because I still use it. Hypnosis is really powerful. It's like a meditation on steroids. If I do it half an hour, like most of my clients are fucking, are so good for an entire week. But, you know, that's not enough because then in the moment, you know, what happens when the shit hits the fan? I'm going to tell you a secret that most relaxation therapists will never ever tell you when it really matters. When the fire is at your shins, no relaxation technique will help you. You will still feel activated because your body is fueled with stress hormones. But what you can learn how to do is you can learn to lower the stress hormones in your brain. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? It's because we have like a blood-brain barrier. And so certain compounds can't go through. And adrenaline, or in the brain it's called epinephrine, or noradrenaline and adrenaline, can't get through the blood-brain barrier. So it gets released separately. So then you can train yourself to allow your body to be fully activated and to calm your brain. Hmm. Now, it's not just me that tells that that uses that from experience. No, there's a growing body of scientific uh, uh, scientific knowledge that demonstrates that when you believe that stress is good for you, and you have the highest stress levels of everybody, you live the longest, healthiest, and most fulfilling lives. Huh. It's really fascinating, and. What does that do? Well, in the body, it creates a shift. So when you believe that stress is good for you, no matter whether you face a challenge, which is something that is challenging, but you think you can handle it, or a threat, which is something you think you can't handle, no matter what, your mind is going to interpret that as a challenge. Now, there's something very interesting in the physiology. Normally, when you're facing a threat, your veins constrict because if the, if an animal is biting you, you better the blood better better than blood gushes out as fast as possible. So you want to keep your blood inside. But when you have a challenge, for example, you you hunting, then you want your veins as open as you can because then the higher heart rate and the faster breathing will get much more nutrients and much more oxygen to every part of your body. So that's the difference between a challenge and a threat in your body. But what is really interesting is that when you believe that stress is good, no matter what you face, it will handle like a challenge. Mm. And what is even more, because it's not only the, the vasodilatation, no, it's also what you get <clears throat> besides the open veins is your body will release neural growth factor and DHEA, anabolic hormones that help you to grow, that help you to recuperate, that help you to make new neural connections. So that's the more physiological reason why 
stress is good for you if you believe it is. But if you believe it, it will kill you, then we get stressed about stress. And then we get stressed about stress before we even have stress to stress about, you know? And then we rely awake at night and that is very dangerous. Then stress becomes dangerous because we don't sleep. We we are tense all day. We are worrying about being angry, about being sad, about being stressed, you know? And you get all these secondary emotions. It's a bit like the stoic says. You have like primary emotions that are there to give you a message. It's your body talking to you. This emotion... Pay attention. This is important to you. And then you have the secondary emotions. That then we start to put extra meanings on all these sensations and feelings. But if we can just learn to embrace that primary emotion, and if you learn to really listen, why is this important to me? And is this important to me because I chose this to be important, or is this important to me because somebody else taught me? put it into my brain that it's important. And once we really start to start, that's why when we start to sit in our shit, we start to realize, but wait a minute, perhaps that Ferrari is not so important for me. Or perhaps it is. Like there's no judgment at all. The Ferrari can be fantastic. I have a client, he loves it. He loves to drive with those cars. Like for him, it's one of the best moments of his life. So for him, a Ferrari is fulfilling. You know, like it's, there's this zero judgment. It's everybody has to really look into their own eyes, into their own hearts to see what fulfills them. Well, a beautiful exercise that I like to do is, okay, track your time. Track how much time and energy you put in different activities. Okay, now rate it based on how much it makes your life much more fulfilling, much more wholesome, much more how much it make, makes you feel better. That's really confrontative very often. Mm. Because to me, I believe that we have to dedicate our lives to pleasure. But what is pleasure? Pleasure is not always the comfort in, 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 in the moment. In the moment, pleasure that later impoverishes your life, to me, is not the pleasure. That's entertainment. How do you know it? It's like it empties your cup. It's like when you binge watch a series and afterwards you feel like you literally wasted the day because you did. Yeah. Or like you go drinking with your friends to forget that you have a horrible life and then the day afterwards you have a hangover. And then before you know it, it's Monday again and you go to the job that you hate. Or you go drinking with your friends, perhaps just as much, but you have fun. And even if you have a little bit of a headache, you feel your heart is fulfilled. You had the most interesting conversation. You had so much fun. There's this beautiful, sensual lady that you had a little fun time with. That's a pleasure. It fills up your cup instead of emptying, empties your cup. And so when this happens, then you can start to grind and go for it. And then, you know, put pleasure into it. And then when you learn to combine this, when you learn to find pleasure in the, the chasing after your values, not your, just your goals, but your values, then I really believe that you can have that full contact life where you feel fulfilled because you're not afraid anymore. You don't need to run away of emotions. You can just say, okay, if the shit hits the fan, I can handle it. I can use this shit to really make my soil more rich so I can grow a garden instead of, oh no, there's shit everywhere. <laughs> Let's run 
let's hide under the blankets because it still smells, no? <laughs> <laughs> so you also say that when you talk about working on working with couples and relationships, that you can we can also use conflict and disagreements to improve relationships. So is that kind of like like embracing our stress in a relationship? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's the core, you know, and, and that's what I call the university for a full contact life because it's easier when it goes to business, you know, but when it comes to the things that do so close to our hearts, when we really love somebody or when we really attack to somebody, when somebody's really close to us, whether it is uh, our intimate partner or our family, well, then it's much harder to say, no, I don't want to. Or when they're really pressuring you to say yes when you want to, because that's the same thing, you know. Yeah. So we there's a lot of talk in, in psychology about adult attachment style, which is the way a child attaches and then they they transport that to adults. And there is a lot of you know correlations. However, it's only half the question. If that's the only way you look at relationships, you're modeling your relationships, your adult relationships to that of a child and a mother. That's dependency. That is not an adult relationship. No, there is a second very powerful force, our need for self-determination. And that's often forgotten. There's always talk about how we have to get more connection. Yeah, but there is no connection if you lose the connection with yourself. So a lot of us think, okay, suppose your beer and your wife is wine. You do some wine with your beer. She does some beer with her wine. And until you're here, you come here. And if you put a little bit more wine with your beer, you're wine. If she puts a little bit more beer with her wine, she's beer. And so you feel you're here. You feel you lost all connection with each other because you did. Because you lost connection with yourself. So the man that she fell for is not the man anymore that she fell for. And the other way around. No, you lost yourselves. And so what happens then, most people go outside, they separate, but then they ruptured because they were so intertwined. They're so in pain. And then they go lean on somebody else. And the same thing happens. So you get this serial monogamy thing where everybody's hurting all the time. And then they come into with wounds, which makes them lean even more. Mm-hmm. But then there's another thing, what our grandpas very often did, then they were here, but then they start to do this on an emotional, psychological level, you know, they were living next to each other. It's not very fulfilling neither. Again, it's running away. So the only way to really get that, uh, that committed relationship where passion is really high and intense and intimate is to learn to stand on your own two feet. And that's scary. Because if somebody doesn't need you, need you anymore, they can go away. There's always there's the knowledge that there's this third other, the third other that could, you know, sweep your wife of your of their feet, or you for that matter. But that knowledge makes it also much more precious. That knowledge when you know, oh, they don't need me, will make them feel less. Will make you take them less for granted, and so it's in that difficulty of being an adult and saying no when your partner is pressuring to you to give in without breaking contact. So what you very often is somebody is pressuring you so people then give in but then they feel horrible, they feel horrible at a certain moment, say no, and then they go away. 
they break the connection because they cannot handle holding on to themselves, holding on to what is true for them, for what they want in life, while the other person that's important to them is pressuring them to compromise. But what is, to me, the essence of real, being a real adult is to learn to stand here while other people that are important to you that are pressuring you to compromise to say no and stay in connection and embrace creative space as a man for sure I create the space for her to go wild and to go crazy and to still look at her with love and to see what is going on to hold that space for yourself that's the space for other. It's like that you create a meta awareness. That's what a, uh, meditation. That's what meditation does. In meditation, people that meditate a lot, they still get pulled away with emotions, but they're just much more aware of when it happens. So they catch on much quicker, and then they can take the third position, and they can start to become connected with what is going on in the moment, with everyone that's involved, without being a slave to it. Hmm. So that's the difference. Taking third position is not cutting yourself off emotionally. No, it's connecting with your emotions, but it's taking a look at it and really studying yourself. It's like you become a scientist of your own life. Now, you've mentioned hypnosis a number of times. So is that kind of one of your preferred tools for yourself and for working with clients? Well, when I'm hypnotizing my clients, I'm hypnotizing myself. So that... (laughs) So, yeah yeah uh yeah i love it but but the way i use this differently different with everyone some people are really suggestible i have women that i can do I have female clients that i do three two one and she starts to feel fantastic it's like there's a wave of like pure ecstasy going through your body i have people that i have to and that it's more like I have to frame it more like an internal visualization because they are very logical. They don't le- learn by experience. So there's like this trait where at the one extreme, you have people that are almost purely logical. They don't learn as a kid anymore. They learn purely by rules. Then you have at the other side, you have people that live still very experiential. I'm a bit more like here. And the more, and so they are very influential. They absorb everything. They disappear in a moment. But that means that when they have a change, the positive change, that that change is much less stable. So the way you work with hypnosis is different depending on your suggestibility. And people often think is that people who are really suggestible are less strong, less are weaker. No, no. Very often what I've found is people that are most creative, people like CEOs, people like really famous artists like athletes they are more on that side why because they're able to envision they're able to absorb they're able to disappear in the moment Mm. people that cannot be hypnotized for sure when they have a high ability a high natural ability well that if they cannot be hypnotized that's very often indication that there's something serious psychologically wrong and so if for me, if I would not be able to be hypnotized, it's a great, great, great indication that I have a hard time to focus. Hmm. But if somebody looks, I have, I have clients that when they try to look up, there's like 
there's almost no more movement in in the, in the in their pupils. It's really funny. Hmm. It's right. really funny. So that and that's apparently linked with uh, very very linked with a natural predisposition to be hypnotized in in clinical hypnosis. Now the problem with clinical hypnosis and the research around it is that it's research. So research is based on a, a, a fixed protocol. Which is not so good, because it's a high, a strong un- underestimation of what you can do with hypnosis. The art of hypnosis is, is is lost in 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 that translation. So it's an underestimation because if you're a real good hypnotist, you will start to test all the time. Yeah. You test and you it's like communication, a very deep communication. Right. You go deeper and deeper and deeper. You go out and in, out and in. It's like a titration. Instead there's, of there's more solid. artistry it's to it. it, it's more art, and that situation than just the same protocol with everyone you meet. Exactly, and so it's very hard to. It's almost impossible to um to really research that. You had like, for example, Erikson. Erikson was one of the fathers of modern hypnotherapy. He had like a success percentage of eighty percent, and most of his clients came only one to three sessions. But he was a genius. I am master. He worked on so many different levels, you know. But that's very hard to teach mm. because the way he taught was through hypnotic principles. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Nico, Nick, you were, uh, yeah, you're you're as fascinating as I was sure you would be. Um, what's the best way for people to learn more about everything that you're up to? Well, first of all, you can go. Uh, to uh, my website nicoverezen.org you know uh, you can also go to perform with pleasure that was my former so it's, it has just has a, a backlink uh, and then yeah my socials uh, you can go to uh, Instagram Facebook YouTube but to contact me yeah Instagram might be the best Instagram or Facebook yeah awesome well, uh, uh, thanks for making time for us today, Nico. And thanks for everyone listening, tuning in. Uh, please visit realmenfeel.org. The, the blog post for this episode will have links to all of Nico's contact info and any of the resources shared today. Wherever you're discovering Real Men Feel, please subscribe, follow, uh, share this with someone that you know will get benefit from it, leave a review or a comment. You can always reach out to me at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Always glad to hear from you. And you can even join our private Facebook group. If you're on Facebook, check out realmenfeel.org slash group. That'll bring you right to it. And until next time, be good to yourself.